Kathy's not in here to thank her and her team, but you can thank her later. Uh, just speak blessings to her. She, she texted me on the way over there, and she said Wendy pushed her down the parking lot, and that um, <laughs> she thought she'd broken her wrist. No, she fell. We, she tripped and fell. Wendy had nothing to do with it, as far as I know. Um, that's Wendy's story, and she's sticking to it. Hey, Luke, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, please turn there with me. We're going to be continuing our study in the book of Luke. If you're joining us online, we're so glad. We've got 50 to 100 campuses spread out across the world. Um, every home is a campus, and so we're so grateful uh, for you joining us online this morning. So turn to Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 4. I am bad. It's probably going to get worse, too. Once I start, it's hard to pull it back. Hey, this is really a continuation of last Sunday. If you missed last Sunday, um, I'll probably reference it a lot. You may want to listen back to, to it. I'll try not to review too much, but I do want to make it clear that, you know, Jesus in the Great Commission, in Matthew, you don't have to turn there, in the Great Commission says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You know, think about that statement. All authority in heaven and on earth, he says, has been given to me. I mean, we can barely, I, I don't know that we can get our hands around, our minds around the truth that Jesus has all authority, Right? I mean, think about it. He's claiming, I mean, he's resurrected from the dead. This is right before he ascends to back to heaven. There's nothing else. I mean, this is his final word to his followers. All authority has been given to me. Now, go and make disciples. And there's an implication here that the authority that Jesus received, he's passing on to his followers to go and make disciples. My contention is this, and has been for 30-something years, the church has no idea who we are. At times, we minimize the power, the authority, the, 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 the delegated right and responsibility to go and make disciples. Now, a disciple is not someone who just hears the facts of the story and kind of might thinks it's a great story, believes it could be true kind of thing. A disciple is a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. It's kind of, oh, I don't know, good illustration, but I, I've had the opportunity to fly all over the world, go to different places. But it's almost like, saying you're a disciple is almost like saying you're a traveler who is flying to, let's say I'm going to Ethiopia and I have to stop off in Lagos and change planes. It's like saying I've been to Nigeria because I landed there and changed a plane. I really haven't been to Nigeria, not unless you consider the airport Nigeria or Budapest. Or I could list a number of cities I could claim that I went to, but I haven't really gone to them. Hearing the stories about Jesus, but not following him as a devoted follower, a student, someone in love and in relationship with Jesus is not a disciple. You can go to church all the time, you can do a lot of different things, but it's not being a follower of Jesus Christ. And Jesus told us to not just go and share information, 
but in relationship, in, in showing, in doing, in demonstrating, in living out our lives, make disciples. And we do it not under our own might, our own strength, but under his authority that has been given to us. And we're going to talk about that kingdom authority a little bit today, looking at Luke chapter 4. I'm going to pick up in verse 31. So far, let me give you just a little run through here. Uh, Luke, which we're studying now, we're already 10 weeks in and we're only in chapter 4. It's obvious probably to all of you we're not going to make it through the whole book of Luke. Um, or some of you are like, well, I didn't know that. Okay, here's what we're doing with the book of Luke. We are going to hit after the next couple of weeks. We're going to continue in Luke 4 and 5, and then we're going to start skipping around and looking at the passages that are unique to Luke. So, you know, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, right? They've all got a different purpose. They're all written to a different audience. And there's some material that is similar to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They, these, they're called the synoptic Gospels. They, they have some similar material. So, like, all of Mark, some of you are, like, zoning out real quick. Stay with me. This is really interesting, I think. All of Mark can be found in Matthew and Luke, kind of in a different way. And then in Matthew and Luke, they have some common material that's not found in Mark. Forget John. John is out on his own. Uh, John's got a whole different purpose. He's just writing, you know, some more esoteric. It's a whole different way. But Matthew, Mark, Luke. So you've got all of Mark in Matthew and Luke. And then you've got a common material between Matthew and Luke. Now, scholars call the material that it's similar to them, like there was some document that we don't know about. Um, they've labeled it, it's a great debate, but they call it Q. Um, they call this document Q like they had access to Q. And we don't, we don't know what it is. And then there's some stuff that's unique to Matthew and some stuff that's unique to Luke. You with me? Aren't you having fun so far? Um, so... What we're going to look at for the rest of the time after the next couple of weeks, come back if I lost you there for a second, just come on back. We're going to look at the weeks ahead, the material that is unique or some of the material that's unique to Luke. But I want to give you this run up because this is critical to the whole gospel. What we're looking at right now in these first five chapters is really, I think, critical to an understanding of Luke. Luke is writing to an audience to, to tell them and to show them that Jesus is fully us. He's fully man. He's writing to talk about the humanity of Jesus. So we saw it in the birth narrative, which is unique to Luke, Luke 1 and 2, about his birth and where he came, all that surrounded his, his birth. And then in chapter 3, he go, uh, goes and uh, is baptized. Heaven's open, dove descends. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. From there, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness where the devil says to him, if you are the son of God, remember we keep going back to this son reference, my son whom I'm well pleased. Then he says, if you are the son of God, then he leaves the desert from the temptation. He's preaching around about his first recorded sermon we have in Nazareth. And they say, is this Joseph's son? There's all these connects about God's son, fully God, fully man, Joseph's son, He's not well received 
in Nazareth, as we saw last week. They almost tried to kill him. And then let's read Luke 4, verses 31 through 44, and then I want to comment on it, and then we're going to pray for one another, and you'll see where we're, we're going. So here's verses 31 through 44. I want to read the whole thing because I want you to follow kind of the narrative that Luke is taking place. It says, then he went down, so he was in Nazareth, right? Almost got killed. Now he's going down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I'm going to comment on this later. It's amazing if you think about it. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Simon is who? Peter, thanks. Simon Peter. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Some say he healed them Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. Here's his son reference again, right? But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Okay, let's take this apart a little bit, and I want to look at some specific ideas from this. And by the way, again, I, I say this every week, but I think this is critical. I, this is really not only important, this is important to who we are as followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples, as the people of God. So first is the king's authority. I've already mentioned it a little bit from all authority has been given to me. We'll come back to that passage. But here he says this. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were what? Stay with me. They were what? Amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. So what is the, what is the idea here? Jesus, who's been given all authority, goes to teach in the synagogue, and they've never heard a guy teach like this. He has authority. Now, one of the reasons is because the preachers or teachers that they had heard largely are almost entirely quoted somebody else. So if you were Jewish and a studier of the Word of God in you would say the Talmud, you'd study other writers, and what you would teach is not the scripture, but you would teach on the teaching of the teaching. 
and it would just keep on going down. So what you're really doing is you were teaching basically other teachers. But Jesus steps up, and when he teaches, he teaches the word of God. They, they were amazed. The word here is like thunderstruck. I mean, it's not just like, wow, that was really something. It would, it's like they were like fall down like amazed, thunderstruck over his teaching because his message had what? He was doing what he had been given. He's under the authority of God the Father, and now he's proclaiming this word with authority. Goes on, in the synagogue, there's a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his lung, ha, what do you want with us, if Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I mean, think about this. One of the earliest confessions of who Jesus actually is, is demonic. It's from a demon. They know. I know who you are. There is a recognition of the war that's taking place. And this guy, Jesus, this God in human flesh, has authority over them. Jesus demonstrates this authority when he says, be quiet. He said sternly, come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. What, what do the people do? They're thunderstruck. I mean, it's one thing to teach with authority. It's another thing to demonstrate this authority by casting the demon out of the guy. Now, here's what's amazing to me. They all recognized this guy was demonized. First of all, I could get stuck here for a while. We don't really even believe in demons anymore. You know, we don't... I'm going to talk about what do we believe about the power of God. But for many people within the church, we... We think of Satan or the demonic as a myth or a story that ancient peoples used to explain away things like epilepsy or, or disease or sickness or whatever the case may be. Now that we're more modern and we're more you know, sophisticated, we don't really believe in this demon thing. If you're the devil, would that be the smartest move on your part? Get the people of God to say, you know, I don't, he doesn't even really exist. So let's not worry about him. We don't even have to deal with it. Listen, I'm not trying. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. Which is, look, I believe in illness. I know it's there. I believe in mental illness. I believe there is help that can be found. But at some point, don't we have to recognize that there's still an enemy, a Satan, who hates us and is lying to us and trying to convince us that we really don't either have power or he has disappeared from the planet. Because if all of that is true, then what, what does the church have to demonstrate? All we, can, all we can do is words. All we can do is teaching. That's all we're left with, and God has given us, that's the point of today, we have so much more. Not that the teaching, not that the words are not important, critical, but so is the demonstration of the Spirit's power. Kathy and I, a couple years ago, you know, is there nothing more fun than showing slides of your vacations? <laughs> don't you, don't you just, oh, don't you just, oh, here we go. So a couple years ago, Kathy and I got a chance to go to Israel with Rob and Shannon, and we went to Capernaum. Capernaum's about 40 miles or so from Nazareth. 
I mean, think about it. They walked everywhere, so it's, it wasn't a short journey. But Capernaum is on the Sea of Galilee, and there is a synagogue there that's been restored. It's from the 2nd or 3rd century A.D., so it's not the actual synagogue that Jesus was in, but it's on the site where the other synagogues have been. So somewhere below this, you can kind of picture it in your head when you're in there. I didn't pull out all the pictures of the synagogue, but you can see and you get in your mind what it must have looked like when Jesus was there preaching. Jesus is in the synagogue teaching in a way that's so different and as if that weren't enough, some demonized guy comes in the synagogue, makes a confession. Hi, I know where you're here. You're going to kill us. Jesus casts the demon out. What I want you to see is this king has authority. The king has authority. Father, this is Jesus' word, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Jesus has authority. The king has authority. Again, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Please, we've got to recognize the king's authority. By the way, and this is a key component as we move to the next point. There's a difference also between recognizing authority and receiving the king's authority for yourself. We, so, over the last, I don't know, I've been alive a while. But every time we switch presidents of the United States, there's always somebody who says, that's not my president. You know, like, oh, Donald Trump, he's not my president. Or Joe Biden, he's not my president. Well, relationally, you may keep claiming he's not your president, but oh, he's your president. <laughs> he has that positional authority of being president. Whether you recognize it or not is honestly irrelevant because he already has the positional authority, right? But there's another thing to say, I'm going to embrace this. I'm walking here. And so... We want to just not receive positional authority of who Jesus is because isn't there going to come a day when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father? There's a day when everybody will claim he is the king. I recognize his authority. But many of those who do that on that day will not be a part of that kingdom because it's not just a recognition of positional authority. It's a relational authority that you've received for yourself. So Jesus has all authority. He's been given all authority. The scripture is absolutely clear. What's not so clear is what are we going to do with this authority? Are we going to receive it for ourselves? Are we going to walk in his lordship? Are we going to walk in relationship with him? By the way, this is a whole thing on uh, authority that you can talk about. You, for instance, you have a boss at work. He's got a positional authority. But there's a big difference between a boss at work and relational authority. So you may say, okay, well, Pastor Bart has positional authority because he's pastor of full, fullness, which would be true. But my, my life is given away to the people of this church. And my goal is that we have 
in some level, relationship so that you know I'm there, that I care, that I love you, that I, I want to be there for you. Now, I can't be best friends with everybody in even a church this size, but there's still a relationship that a church our size has that allows us to be in a relationship with one another. The king has authority. Receive his authority. Second point is this. The king has a kingdom. The king's kingdom. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. And they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her. He rebuked the fever. I, I love this line. He rebuked the fever and it left her. Unlike me who would have taken days to recover. She got up at once. And began to wait on them. She was truly a mom. Hey, let's look at some more pictures. So, if you go to Capernaum now, you can go to Simon Peter's house. Uh, they've excavated a lot of ancient um, Capernaum. And the one on the left, yeah, the one on the left is just part of the city itself. And you can walk into this. It's not really, it's a church, but it doesn't look like a church. It's just a church in an octangular configuration. And right at the middle is this glass that you can look down in and see what is supposedly the home of Simon Peter. Now, you may be saying, well, why are you talking? I want you to see this is a real place, a real time. This is not a myth. This is a real person. This is reality that's taking place. And it goes on and says, when the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. Again, remarkable to me, the confession that the demons know exactly who Jesus is. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. You're like, well, wouldn't you want that? Isn't that why he's here? But his time, he, timing is everything for Jesus. Listening to the Father, doing what he said. Jesus has preached in Nazareth. Remember his sermon? What did he come to do? It was a review. Help me. He came to? Preach the good news. Cast out demons, heal the sick, blind see, deaf hear, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, prisoners free. That was not just articulating words. He came to do it. And immediately in Capernaum, he didn't do it in Nazareth because they were like, isn't this Joseph's sons? And they tried to kill him. So he left and went to Capernaum where he does the stuff, as we talked about last week. Heals. Sets free. Now, I don't know what... Have you all watched The Chosen at all? I, this one I highly recommend. So in The Chosen, you know, there's this idea that, you know, if Ricardo knew healing, Ricardo, I'll heal you. Boom, he's healed. I go on the next person. Miriam, boom, heal you. Dottie, boom. That kind of like, he just, you know, healing people kind of, kind of thing. One of the things I love about The Chosen, the way it articulates it, is this is a battle going on. And though Jesus was fully God and in the kingdom authority, he's battling for the soul's health of people. And there's this one episode of The Chosen which I didn't like and then I loved. 
um, it flipped right at the end. Because the whole episode is, it's in the dark and, and some in the day. And um, Jesus is off doing healing. You don't even see him. And all his disciples, they're arguing about this and that. They're arguing about this stupid, worthless stuff for like a half an hour. And you're like, this is driving me crazy. Get on with it. Do something here. And then at the very end of the episode, Jesus returns after a day of healing. to confess, the first time I saw it, I just wept, thinking what it cost our Savior to demonstrate even the authority that God had given him on this earth. There was a battle taking place. It's why it says at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Why? Because he had to commune with the Father. I think he had to be renewed in his own strength. The people, of course, they want more. 
So they're looking for him. They don't really want him exactly. They want what he is giving them. They tried to keep them from leaving them. But Jesus said, I must preach what? Good news of the kingdom. I've got to preach the gospel of the kingdom. This is the first place in the book of Luke that the term the kingdom of God is used. And he's saying, I have to go and preach the gospel of the kingdom because that's why I was sent. He wasn't sent just to heal or just to deliver or just. He was here to proclaim redemption, salvation, the good news of the kingdom. There's, um, in C.S. Lewis's excellent Chronicles of Narnia, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, if you've read the Chronicles of Narnia, which I, I think everybody in this church probably has at this point because I've quoted them for 30 years. And if you haven't, then either go read it or if you can't read, get a book on tape. That was a joke. I know you can all read. Uh, but <clears throat> get it and listen to it on tape. You didn't laugh at that one. Um, so there's this guy, you know, there's always humans going into Narnia. And so there's this one guy named Eustace who, useless, it, it, it seems like. His name is Eustace. He goes into Narnia. And he comes across a, 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 a cavern filled with gold and riches and just falls in. It's a dragon's area. And falls in love with it and thinks, I've got everything I need. And his greed just overtakes him. And when he wakes up in the morning, he's become a dragon. What he thought he wanted and what he thought he desired turned him into something he didn't want to be. And as a result, he then tries to shed his scales and shed his skin and go back to being a little boy. So he's clawing at himself and trying to get this dragon stuff off. And there's a scene where the lion, Aslan, shows up. And he basically tells Eustace that he has to do it for him. And here's what it says in the, in the book. Here's quoting from the Chronicles of Narnia. I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. The very first tear he made was so deep that it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than every, anything I'd ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. Just as I thought, I don't myself the other three times. I couldn't. Only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. Then he caught hold of me and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. Then I saw I turned into a boy again. It's a picture of only Jesus and his authority can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And if we're not careful, we get distracted by all the other stuff in the world. And in our distraction, in our trying to seize it, we actually become like it. What we want to see instead is the kingdom released in our lives. God's kingdom unloosed in every one of us. 
Alexander McLaren, a famous pastor from another generation, said this, Offer men the smaller gifts, and they will run over one another in their scramble for them. But offer them the highest, and they will scarcely hold out a languid hand to take them. We think we need, know what we need, but we don't have any clue. But what we need is God's kingdom, power, presence, relationship released in our lives. In Colossians, it says, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities, there's that word again, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. We need God's kingdom. This is the point, really, this morning, is that we need God's kingdom released in our lives, each and every one of us. How, how do you walk in God's kingdom? I, I've talked about this before. When I was a freshman in college, I took a biblical survey class and I had to write a paper on the kingdom of God. Now, I'd been raised in the church. I was pretty knowledgeable of biblical facts. But trying to describe the kingdom of God was dadgum near impossible for me. It took me forever to get my mind around the kingdom. And, and I would contend for us today that we're still struggling. to say, If I were to say to you, what is the kingdom of God? We would have so many different definitions, so many different answers about what is God's kingdom. But my contention is this. Everything that falls under the domain of the king is the kingdom of God. Is the church the kingdom of God? No, the church is a part of the kingdom of God. We are not everything about the kingdom. We're a part of it. We're an instrument in God's kingdom hands. Individuals are part of the kingdom, but we are not. The, but God's, at the same time, God's kingdom is in us. Trying to define it is so difficult, but the question is this. What is God's kingdom to you? Are you alive in God's kingdom? Are you walking in God's kingdom? Are you a part of God's kingdom? Now, I'm using the term kingdom a lot because that's who we are. We're part of the king. We are citizens of the kingdom of God because of who Jesus is to us. And the, one of the difficulties I see in the world, and then we're gonna, I'm going to pray, we're going to have a time of ministry here in just a second. So if I could have the worship team come back up, I want to lead right into it. Um, here's one of the problems, but try and watch me and not them. I know you, I've seen you. You know, you'll be like, squirrel. You know, somebody's moving, I'm going to watch them go get a guitar or something. Pay attention to me for one more second, and then I'll, I'll let you see them. There are so many different views about what God's kingdom means now. So even within the church, what you find is a large contingent of people. I'm standing on this edge because I'm about to walk over there. But there's a large people in God's kingdom who we'll call defeatists. It's a terrible word defeat us. But what they're basically saying is, yes, 
God, Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom, but none of God's kingdom is for now. It's all for the future. So we're not, we're part of the kingdom, but we don't, we don't have any kingdom power, kingdom authority. All of that was just with Jesus and the apostles, and then it stopped. All, and now we got to wait for the future kingdom to come. Some people proclaim this theologically. Others just live it like that. They wouldn't even know how to describe it, but they'd just say, oh, I'm a worthless worm, I can't do nothing, I'm just terrible, I'm going to get to go to heaven, but that's it. No, no, that's defeatist. Then, there are others you could call triumphalist. And what they'll say is, everything in God's kingdom is for now. All of it for now. It's all here. I can, I can pray for everybody to be healed, everybody's going to get healed, everybody's going to get set free. I'm going to have no health problems. I'm going to have everything I need. I'm going to have everything now. That's triumphalism. This is, just for sake of argument, this is called an over-realized eschatology. You can write that down. This is called an under-realized eschatology. Eschatology means study of end times. Some of you are like, he's back to that Q document again in a minute before I, if it, what I'm saying is, they think that that, Things are not, we're somewhere in between. We're somewhere in that already, but not yet. We're somewhere between, okay, Jesus came to give us the kingdom of God now. So we have the power to pray for people, to heal people, to see um, decisions made, people to be set. We have power to see that happen now. But at the same time, I hope, we recognize we don't have all authority and power to see every single person healed. I, I don't know a church on the planet. I don't know a place on the I don't know historically where that's happened other than this day in Capernaum where Jesus healed everybody. Otherwise, and even then, there were still some who didn't come. So what I'm saying is somewhere in between we, we live. We're not defeatists, but we also understand not everything has happened yet. There is still... There is still glory waiting for us. At the same time, I would say the vast, vast majority of Christians live somewhere toward that end of the stage. They don't believe, I, you know, we don't believe it's all going to happen, but I think we could press in more than where we are. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to do it right now. We're going to pray for a release of God's kingdom power in your life. We're going to pray that if you're sick, you'd be made well. If you're, if you're in bondage, that you would be set free. If you need the wisdom of God, that God's spirit would touch you and his wisdom would come upon you. Now, is everybody who gets prayed for going to get healed? I would say probably not. But why even go there? Why not just say, I'm going to receive in faith and see what God's going to do? Rather than going in with a, that's eh, not going to happen. Why go there? Step out. Say, God, do what you want to do in me. Even if you kill me, yet will I praise you. So, right? Let's go, let's go into the praise of God and praying. And is not God's the way Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it's being done in heaven. When you pray that, you're asking for a full release of God's kingdom 
in your life now. Jesus came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Let's receive his kingdom. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand up and we're going to pray together the Lord's Prayer. And when you get to that phrase, God's kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it's being done. Just, just in, in faith receive a release of the power of the kingdom of God in your life. I know you came with a different hurt, a different question, a different problem, maybe, but just pray that God's kingdom would be released in your life. And then as soon as we finish, I'm going to ask you if you need prayer to just come and spread out across the front. Now, there's nothing magic in coming and spreading across the front, to the, but there's something to me in stepping out in faith, saying, God, I need I need you. Here I am, God. Do what you want to do in my life. Do what I'm asking for. And then we're going to have a ministry team come. I'm going to pray for you. Or better yet, I'm going to have Brother TV come pray for you. And then I'm going to have our ministry teams come and just lay hands on you and just pray for you that God's kingdom power would be released in your life. And then we're going to worship for a minute before we leave. Say this with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you need prayer, just come to the front right now. Father, we've heard it said a number of times already this morning. We've sung about it. You're a way maker. You're a way maker. And God, we've heard it said that you're the same God that shut the mouth of lions. You're the same God that delivered through the fire. You're the same God that brought us out of Egypt. Huh? You're the same God that makes a way and that's the God we still serve that's the God that's been declared to us today that we have the same authority you gave it to us and this is not an authority we waste on just ourselves this is not just an authority we walk in because we've heard about you but this is an authority we take control we possess we walk in it we believe it and we're going to be strengthened that we may go forth and make disciples. That this that we talk about is something that we believe. It's something that we, we grab a hold of. That we can walk in it and we can be made whole. All authority. All authority. Yes. We're looking to the future. We're looking for what you're going to do. 
but we're walking in it in the now in the now you need freedom you need deliverance it's available for you right now you need help making a decision you yes. need direction it's available for you right now <laughs> right now God we walk in it and not for ourselves this isn't something we want this so we can claim it this is something we want so that we can walk it out that we can do the greater things that you declared that we won't be defeated and I speak it over you in Jesus name ministry team just begin to pray for people right now lay hands on them pray for their healing their direction um, there's so many people that need prayer that you probably have to go single today rather than as teams, but that's fine. Just do battle. This is a warfare issue right now for the battleground that's here. So our ministry teams, they're going to just come and pray for you. Just tell them what you need. You don't have to go into a lot of explicit detail. Just say, I need healing. I need direction. I need freedom. I need a fresh touch of the Spirit of God. And then let them pray for you and you receive it right now in faith receive what God has for you.
pray God's kingdom would come. Let's just let's just sing it to him together. I think it'll be a powerful experience as we claim our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Just as people continue to get prayer, if you're not getting prayer right now, just, just worship the Lord. Just focus on him. Just receive what he wants to do in your life. 